ask you a question this Easter weekend. What is the heaviest thing that you've ever tried to move? Maybe it was the couch in the basement or perhaps a piece of gym equipment as you were trying to uh, break a personal best. Or maybe it was the car stuck in the snow. Sorry to bring that up. Hopefully we're past all of that. What is the heaviest thing you've ever tried to move? The heaviest thing that Pastor Kevin Fast, Canadian Lutheran Pastor Kevin Fast, ever moved was a world record. It was a C-177 Globe Master III, this massive Canadian Air Force jet that he moved 28 feet and 10 inches. It only weighed 416,000 pounds, 229 more, I should add on to that. Isn't that amazing? Man, that's my pastor right there. But you know something? It doesn't matter how strong you are, even if you can set or break world records. There's one thing no human being can budge, and that is death. In other words, there's no human being who has truly died, actually literally died, who on their own has broken out of the tomb or broken out of the grave or walked out of the cemetery. It's just impossible. And it's not necessarily so much death that is impossible to budge because that's a consequence. What's, what's impossible to, to budge is the, the sin that causes the death. In the Good News translation, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that sin pays its wage, or the consequences of sin is death. So the weight, the weight that we can't budge is the, the weight of our sin and the condemnation, the judgment that is due us because of our shortcomings and our failure. And we all know, we all know the symptoms of sin in our lives. Just like you know when you have an illness, you feel the symptoms. Symptoms like guilt and shame and failure and fear and anger and resentment and loneliness and the list is long. And maybe you feel some of those symptoms this weekend. Our world certainly convulses with those symptoms. All you have to do is turn the news on or listen to conversations or just see what's happening around us. It affects not only us, but it also affects even our own personal relationships. We know it's a problem. We know it's there. And the question is, can anything move that off of our soul? Three women on resurrection morning were making their way to the tomb. One of them was Mary Magdalene, the other was another woman named Mary, and then a third woman named Salome. They were going to the tomb where Jesus was buried in order to wrap more spices around his body. It was a custom in those days. It was also an act of courtesy. You see, in those days, when a person was laid in the tomb, one had to wait for their body, their flesh to decompose then to gather their bones and place the bones in an ossuary for what was called the second burial. In the meantime, the owner of the tomb may have family or friends whose bodies need to be laid there, and so the tomb would have to be opened for them to go in, and in order to cut down the offense of the decomposition, these spices were used in this way. As the women were making their way to the tomb, however, they had a problem. 
And the problem is described for us in Mark chapter 16, verse 3. It simply says that on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to this tomb? It was just much too big and much too heavy. And not even their combined strength would be able to budge that stone aside to go into the tomb. You see, as they made their way to the tomb, they believed with all their heart that Jesus' body was in there. Even though Jesus had said repeatedly when he was on earth and alive that he would die and rise again, they just couldn't accept it. And neither could Jesus' closest friends, the disciples. You don't see Peter, James, or John there that morning waiting for the resurrected Jesus. As far as they're concerned, the one who raised from the dead has died. Therefore, how can he raise himself from the dead if he is dead indeed? And so that day, that morning, everybody in Jerusalem who had been associated with Jesus, especially his closest friends, were dismayed, were hopeless. Jesus was dead. This resurrection morning what do you think? How do you feel about Jesus and the tomb and the resurrection? I think there are a lot of people who will go to some kind of worship service this weekend. And it's more a cultural thing than it is a vivid reality that Christ has risen. It may be to please dad and mom or grandpa and grandpa. It might be because we always did this when we were young and it just feels like the right thing to do. It's kind of a cultural thing, but do I actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Ah, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. Paul, writing to a group of believers in the city of Corinth in Greece, some who are struggling with doubt, said these words to them. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. In other words, Paul is saying, look, this is just a myth, a legend. If this is just kind of us going through the motions, if this is just this, you know, a cultural thing, a religious thing for us, Wow, we are really hopeless. Speaking of hope and hopelessness, where, where does one put their hope? Because we all, we all have this sense of hope in us. We're, we're all longing for some assurance in our lives. And so in our culture, you know, it's easy for us to put our hope in material things, wealth and success. But the problem is those things just kind of mask up the emptiness for a while and then Pretty soon we don't have enough, we're not successful enough, we feel that emptiness, we come to the end of our life and we really feel that emptiness. Sometimes we put our, our faith and hope in religion and religion is defined as man's search for God. There are a lot of religions out there, a lot of philosophies out there, a lot of isms out there. How can there be so many? Which one is right? Why do I want to put my faith and hope in something that seems to come from from a, a person's ideas or a group's ideas and thoughts about the cosmos. And then, of course, there's some people who say, you know what, they're really, you can't put your hope in anything because Darwin was right. We have just evolved. We're biological machines. We're born today and we're going to die tomorrow. And if that is the case, then the big question is, why isn't 
atheism and Darwinism. Why isn't it the rage of our world? We're all smart people. Why is it around the world so many people, despite all of that, still have this sense that there has to be more to life, still have this sense that, that there's a purpose, that there's a creator somewhere out there? Why is that unique to us? Why don't lions and chimpanzees and your dog and your cat worship? It's because you are unique. We are unique. We have the sense there's more to life than just what we're experiencing in the here and in the now. Is there a power, truly a power, greater than ourselves? The women were wondering if there was going to be someone that would help them with a stone. Can you imagine how shocked they were? When they finally got the tomb, it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 4, but as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. Who rolled the stone aside? You look at the text, I just want to read a couple more verses. It says in verse 5, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. So who moved the stone? You say, well, it says right there the angel moved the stone. Not really. Yeah, the angel may have been involved in physically removing the stone, but it's God who moved the stone. Because it's God who raised his son from the dead. If God didn't raise his son from the dead, there's no use in moving the stone aside. It is God's power that raised Jesus from the dead, and it's that power that can change our life. He raised his son from the dead for you and me. Because he took our guilt and our shame and our condemnation and he put it on his son who took our place and became us so we could become him. In Acts chapter 2, we read that God released him, Jesus, from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in his grip. And so the question really is, do I honestly, sincerely believe that the tomb is empty, that Jesus literally rose from the dead because of the power of his Father who raised him to life again, who promises to raise us to life spiritually and then someday physically. Do I really believe that there's no other name under heaven by which a person can truly be born again except the name of Jesus Christ himself? Well, there's been a lot of people, a lot of intellectuals, a lot of... Um, uh, people who have studied the law, a lot of scientists, a lot of philosophers who have, tried to, who have tried to prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead, who examined all of the evidence, and it's interesting how many of them in examining the evidence actually came to faith in Christ because the evidence was so profound. In fact, there have been books written on these people and their efforts and their discovery of Christ along the journey. But I think one of the most powerful evidences of the resurrection of Christ is how he changes people's lives. Now understand that we are all, if we surrender to Christ, we are all a work in progress. 
And some of us are at different stages because, you see, after I receive Christ in my life, I need to then surrender to his presence in me. And sometimes I fight doing that. And so oftentimes people say, oh, I'm not interested in being a Christian. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. Well, you're right. We are. We're a work in progress. And one more join the crowd won't hurt. We're a work in progress. And that's why Jesus calls out Peter. The angel says, go and tell Peter specifically to show up. Why? Because Peter, oh my goodness, of all the disciples, Peter must have felt like the greatest failure of all. Remember Peter? Talk about a hypocrite. Here's the guy who said, Jesus, if you die, I'll die with you. I'll stand with you to the very end. But when the end came, what did Peter do? He denied knowing Jesus three times. Cursed and swore as he did that. Now imagine Peter's dealing with the fact that Christ may indeed be resurrected. And then comes to find out that indeed Jesus is risen. Oh my goodness, how do I deal with my guilt and my shame and my failure? Can you imagine how angry Peter must have been with himself? You ever get angry with yourself? You ever get disappointed with yourself? You ever have other people get disappointed and upset with you? Can you imagine how Peter must have felt? And one of my favorite chapters in the Gospels is John chapter 21, where Jesus and Peter encounter each other again. I love that chapter because Jesus looks at Peter and he says, yep, you and I both know that you failed me, but I want you to know that I still love you. And I took your failure on myself, Peter. I have forgiven you. I have moved that stone away. I want you on my team. I love you, Peter. I love that chapter because I'm Peter and you're Peter. And Jesus says the same thing to us. Despite all the wrong in our life, wrong done to us, wrong we've done to others, God says, I forgive you. I move that weight aside. I want you to be my follower. I want to be in relationship with you. you say, Pastor, I just wish, I just wish there'd be some, you know, like, I just wish God would do something miraculous to just help me believe that, that, that Christ really rose from the dead, that God really has that power. I just, I just wish I could see a miracle. So, I want to tell you about a miracle. I want to tell you about a modern-day, recent miracle that's verifiable by scientists that just happened. And the reason I want to tell it to you is because it's close to Marsha and to me. Years ago, Marsha and I, when we were ministering on the West Coast, met a young girl by the name of Amy. She was 13 years old. Amy was shy and timid and private, but very sincere in her love for Jesus and her faithfulness to Christ, even as a, as a young adolescent. Then as Amy got older, like all of us, as she entered adulthood, there came the joys, but also the challenges. And Amy ended up being a single parent to her children. Life got kind of challenging and difficult for her as she struggled through all of that. And four years ago, she was diagnosed with a very terrible, rare, and aggressive cancer called adenoid cyst carcinoma. It is a, it is a cancer that is, is rare and very hard to treat, and she had like the worst-case scenario. Her whole body was just riddled by this, this cancer. She had bone cancer, skin cancer, tumors in her brain, and tumors around her heart. Her nerves were frayed. She got to the point where they could, they could hardly move her because the pain was so excruciating. She went from walking to a walker to a wheelchair. 
And she fought that cancer for those four years because of her children. She wanted to live for them. And I talked to Amy by phone, and she said, you know, Pastor Dale, I never was angry with God. And I never, I never felt like, you know, God has done me a, a, a terrible deed. She said, I asked God why. I wondered what's going to happen to my kids. But Amy's blessed there in Montana where she lives to have a wonderful church family and a wonderful pastor and his wife who really came alongside of her through this journey, including her loving parents and, and family as well. And so Amy's fighting this cancer with everything that she has. She's flying out to Washington State to see a specialist there who's trying to treat this situation in her life. The leading specialist in all of the world for this cancer is in Texas, and that team is trying to help her because it's like the worst case they've ever seen. It's a deadly, deadly cancer. And she's going through all these treatments, and she almost loses her life. They revive her back again, and she's laying in her hospital room. She said, the nurse came in to see me and saw that I was actually awake and alert. And we began talking about spiritual things, and though I'm shy and timid, she said, I felt like God was saying to me, Amy, you need to start speaking up for me. And so the nurse asked me, Amy, how can you not be angry at God? How can you even believe in God when he's letting this happen to you? And she shared Jesus with her nurse and then led her nurse to faith in Christ. The doctor who is working with her is watching her faith and is watching her perseverance. He can't figure out what's going on either. And so she talks to the doctor about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And she leads her doctor to faith in Christ. The specialist down in Texas who's treating her and trying to help as best as possible, she has a 45-minute conversation with him and leads him to faith in Christ. One day, Amy says, I get a phone call from his wife. His wife said, who are you? She said, I don't know if you know what you've done, but you have changed my life's husband. I'm a believer. I've been praying for my husband for years. I can't, and she burst into tears. She said, I can't tell you how God has changed his life all of a sudden through you. Well, Marcia spoke to Amy last fall by phone, and, and Amy had decided at that point to give up all treatment. She was just going to die. The pastor and his wife became legal guardians. She sold her car to pay some bills, and she just, she just said, I'm done. I, her body was just beaten and worn she couldn't take it anymore. And so she was preparing to die with all these tumors, the cancer in her bone, the cancer in her skin. She's just ready to go. The doctor said, we doubt you'll even make it to Christmas. She started having seizures, grand mal seizures. And she said, during one in particular, when I just thought, I'm dead, I am, I, this is it, I am, it, life is over. She said, I came out of it, my pastor was there, and she said, I don't know what came over me. I do, she does now. But she said, I looked at him and I said, I believe that God is going to heal me. And it's like, are you hallucinating? <laughs> Look at you. You've given up, rightly so. But you know what? She lived to Christmas. She lived past December. And in January, she started feeling remarkably well. Her skin was changing quickly. And she believed and felt that she had been healed. 
told the doctors. The doctors said, you've got to come back right away to Washington. We need to do scans. She'd gone back to being able to use a walker. And she said, when I got to the hospital, I decided I was going to walk in. She goes, I left my walker aside and I walked into the hospital and the doctors met me by the elevator. When these doctors saw me, they all started to cry. These medical professionals started to cry. The team in Seattle, the team down from Texas came up because they had to see this. This is miraculous. How could this be? They had basically written her death warrant and now she's alive. They did PET scan. They did MRIs. Then they all went down the coffee shop. And she said, well, we're down the coffee shop. There's this other doctor who came along who hadn't become a believer yet. And I just felt the boldness of God come over me like I need to share Christ with him. So I asked him, what do you believe? What do you believe in? And meanwhile, she said, the other two doctors that led to faith, they started to pray out loud. And he's wondering, what are they doing? And, he said, and she said, I told them, they're praying for your salvation. And make his story shorter, she ends up, he ends up praying to receive Christ in the coffee shop. The tests have come back. There's not a sign of cancer in her body. In fact, the doctors look at her and say, it's as though you never had cancer. Normally, the MRIs will show shady spots where the tumors once laid in the body. There's no shade. There's no darkness around the brain, in the brain, around the heart, anywhere in her body. People that haven't seen her for a while, she told me, are looking at me and saying to me, why do you look younger instead of older? What has happened to your skin? And she said, Pastor Dale, I give you permission to share my story because it's for the glory of God. Now... These are, these are renowned experts, these medical professionals. And they told Amy, there's no other explanation for this. You had the, like the worst case that they'd ever seen. There's no other explanation than this than God has healed you. You know, God doesn't always do miracles. Marsh and I have loved ones who passed away, people we pray for that God would do a miracle in their life. And, and the miracle God does is he takes them home. He does not cure them on earth. But every once in a while, God breaks into time and history. He does a miracle in someone's life, a physical, miraculous experience like Amy's to remind those who are unbelievers, who are associated with their lives, that he's real. And the power that raised his son from the dead is the power that can change their life and our lives. He uses this as a sign to the unbelieving world to say, I am still God. So oh, I wish a miracle would happen for me. I'm telling you, a miracle has happened for you. Say, what do you mean a miracle has happened for me? When Jesus was raised from the dead, that was a miracle for you. He was raised from the dead for you and for me. God took our shame, our guilt, our condemnation, lifted it off of us, and placed it on his son. His son died our death so we could live his life and the question is, will you trust what he's done? When you do, the miracle comes into your life. I love the way Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. He says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. See, God makes us two awesome promises. He says, when I put my faith, when I surrender to Christ, his spirit comes in me. Now, you want to know, you want to experience the miracle of his presence? The more surrendered you are to Jesus, the more you experience his presence. The more you fight his presence, the less you experience that. 
When you fully surrender to him, you literally sense and know his presence in your life. And God says that we're all going to die in this world because his body's all broken down. But he says when he comes back again, we're going to receive a brand new body, a resurrected body. That's the miracle he's done for you and for me. And so the question as I close is this, do you know that miracle in your life? Do you know that miracle in your life? Would you bow your heads with me? And I just, want, I just want to ask you, have you surrendered yourself completely to Christ? Oh, I know you may have prayed here or there. Maybe you went through a religious ritual at some point in your life and thought, you know, I checked off that box or my parents checked that box off for me. But I'm asking you, do you have the assurance today of the miracle of the resurrection? And if you don't or you're unsure, wouldn't it be wonderful on this on this? resurrection morning to just give your life fully to Christ. Lean totally into him. If you're ready to do that, I want to help you with a prayer that you can pray silently where you are to God. Just say these words with me from your heart. Dear Father in heaven, I humble myself before you. I have no problem admitting I'm a sinner. I feel the weight of condemnation. God, I ask you to forgive me. I want the miracle of Jesus in my life. I'm surrendering the weight of my past and my present to you. I invite you, Lord Jesus, to take over this life. I invite your spirit to fill me. I want to start following hard after you from now on, oh God. I put my faith in so many things. I'm done. I put my faith in you. Here and now, Lord, I trust you. Father, I pray for every sincere heart that prayed that prayer, that your spirit, Holy Spirit, would bear witness of their spirit, that the weight has been transferred. Freedom is theirs. They now have a living hope beating in their chest. I want you to now listen to this beautiful song that expresses this living hope. And I also want you to watch as it's going to be portrayed, this miracle that God has done for you and for me.